The passage today is from Jonah 3, so if you're someone who likes to follow along, uh, do whip out your Bible and we'll be reading verses 1 to 10. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed and all of them from the greatest to the least put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. But let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. This is the word of the Lord. Good afternoon, everyone. Great to see you and uh, a big warm welcome from me to the baptism party, family and friends. My name's Mark. Uh, I'm one of the ministers here. I'm a little bit vertically challenged, so I'm going to put that down a bit. Wonderful. Great. Well, today we come to chapter three of Jonah. Jonah has been shaken by the sea and now his words as a Hebrew prophet are going to shake a city. And even its king will take off his royal robes and admit his humble dependence on God. Just as we saw King Charles do that yesterday, take off his royal robes, get anointed with holy oil, and admit that he is a man who requires the power of God. Jonah, in this chapter, a man who had run from God, sees the city of Nineveh believe and turn to God. And through this chapter, I want us to consider the perfect purposes of God, how his hand is revealed in our lives. What are God's pleasing purposes? How can we live in them? How can we know his goodness, whoever we are and however we are today? Because in every chapter of this little book, we see the sovereignty of God. What do I mean by that? I mean that God rules and reigns. He rules and reigns in every circumstance of our lives. First, in chapter one, God rules and reigns, redeeming our failures. This chapter begins as a kind of straight rerun of the beginning of the book of Jonah. It's like Groundhog Day, all over again. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. But where Jonah ran before from God's call, now he runs towards it. From the dark belly of that whale, he cried out 
And he'd known God stretching out his saving hand. As God rescued him, drowning from the sea, now Jonah is going to preach to and rescue a drowning people. Like Peter, he's been given a second chance by the God of second chances. And we probably all need to hear that message today. God is in the business of offering every single one of us a second chance. And in the Bible, we see him do that with Moses. We see him do it with Elijah, Rahab, David, Saul. The list goes on. But God isn't just lavishly generous in his grace. He's also all-seeing in his providence. You see, Jonah doesn't make good despite his former failures. He makes good through his former failures. Jonah's ordeal in the whale has deeply impressed on him God's judgment and God's salvation. First, Jonah comes to mourn for his mess-ups, and then he preaches a word to the Ninevites, which is going to make them mourn for theirs. His speaking springs from his learning. God cares about us way too much not to shape us through our mistakes. Some years ago, a man named Robert Clinton analysed all the great leaders in the Bible. And he looked for kind of patterns in how God had formed and shaped them in their leadership. And two of the themes that he extracted, he called this negative preparation and isolation. In other words, when God uses a negative experience in our lives or a time of isolation in our lives in order to prepare us afresh, to bring new insights as a source of learning. And perhaps you feel today, in some way, I'm stuck. I'm in a dark place. I could never be any use to God. I'm pretty useless. Well, the book of Jonah comes to challenge your thinking. Through it, God says to you that a place that feels a prison can become a place of preparation. That a place that feels like a death trap can actually become a birthing pool. Tossed on these seas, Jonah repents and he cries out to God and God reaches down and draws him out of the waters. Jonah praises and he says, salvation comes from the Lord. What would have been the impact of Jonah on Nineveh if he'd gone straight to preach there right back at the beginning of chapter 1? Nothing like it was once he'd been shaken by the seas, once he'd been gripped by godly fear through experiencing that fierce storm at sea. The sea had bubbled and boiled when he'd run from God, and now the land's going to quake as he preaches in Nineveh. You may have heard, you may have read that in February this year, there was a chapel service going on at a university, a Christian university, at a place called Asbury in Kentucky, USA. And during that very ordinary service, the presence of God suddenly came really strongly. And it filled the students who were there and others who came subsequently with a spirit of repentance 
and a spirit of worship. And what was just meant as a short service, like our service this afternoon, it actually lasted 16 days, non-stop, and many people came to believe in Jesus Christ as a result. And when the student leaders who helped steward that service, that 16-day service, when they were asked why they thought God might have chosen them to steward this extraordinary event, one young man replied that they were all people who in the last few years had in some way been crushed. They'd been crushed. They'd experienced perhaps bereavement, the loss of a baby, the loss of a job, They'd known depression, crushed. And God loves to use people who've been crushed. In Jonah, God takes a mess up and invites him to be God's messenger. And Jonah preaches with greater conviction about God's salvation than he's ever preached before. You see, God doesn't call us in spite of our brokenness and flaws. He uses these as the crucible in which to forge us afresh and to magnify his glory. A broken and contrite heart, God does not despise. And some of us may feel down and out today. Some of us may feel a little bit like we've been traveling in the belly of a whale and we've got vomited up on a foreign shore, just like happened to Jonah. Well, this is just the time that you need to call out to God. This is just the time that God will reach down and save you. If you don't fight your circumstances and God, but see his invitation in those circumstances, then extraordinary things can happen. Jonah called out from the void, and God heard him, and God saved him, and God invited him to partner with God to mighty effect. You see, God rules and reigns from the beginning. He sees the end from the beginning. His lens is perfect. He never sees duds. He never sees also rans. God only sees winners. Your failures needn't disqualify you. In fact, they can define you once they've been redeemed by the providential hand of God. So begin again. This is God's message to you today. In any place that you're feeling disabled from following God's call on your life, begin again. His purposes are perfect. Then second, we see God rules and reigns, drawing all people to himself. Look, was Nineveh's conversion likely? Absolutely not. Here's the city at the heart of the mightiest empire on earth, the Assyrian Empire. It's a city of hundreds of thousands. It's a city that's so vast it takes three days to cross. It's a city of fish gods and fertility gods. And into it comes one man, just one man, without any evangelistic entourage, without any technology of mass communications like we know today, without any special car to whisk him from speaking venue to venue. It's impossible odds 
in a Gentile, that is a non-believing city, for a Jewish preacher. Impossible. And yet, God rules and reigns. God's words through Jonah strike the Ninevites like the sea strikes the rocks. And this is Jonah's message. Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Salvation comes from the Lord. In anguish, Jonah pleads with the Ninevites to avert the danger that they're bringing on themselves. Because Jonah has known God's judgment. He's also known God's loving kindness and mercy and salvation. Jonah's been filled with godly sorrow out there at sea. And now he sees it all around him as the Ninevites fall to the ground and repent. This is the power of God's anointed word. In the text, God says this to Jonah literally. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I am giving you. Or you can translate it, I will give you. You see, Jonah acts in perfect trust. I really believe that God gives him the perfect word as Jonah literally opens his mouth in Nineveh. God's word has fire fall on it from heaven, and those who hear on it fall to their knees. Jonah warns the Ninevites about a 40-day deadline, and when does their repentance come? Day one. Day one. In spring 1921, revival came to Yarmouth on England's east coast. There were these Scottish herring fishermen and women who'd come down from Scotland to fish the herring because they migrate south. And as two visiting preachers pleaded God's love to those fishermen and women, the presence of God fell. One account says this of a public meeting. The ground around me was like a battlefield with souls crying to God for mercy. And this is what can happen in Nineveh and Yarmouth and Oxford when the truth of God's word penetrates our hearts and tenderizes our consciences. When the Holy Spirit is abroad. Human odds go out the window when that happens. Souls cry out wounded on the battlefield and God comes and he pours out his healing balm of mercy and forgiveness. When we witness our faith like Jonah, then every adversity we experience can actually become an opportunity. Look, Jonah's like a needle in a haystack in this huge city. It's a city packed with people. They could turn on him in an instant as a foreign preacher and stone him to death. But how does that work for him? Well, it means that when he preaches, and people hear the word and are convinced. The word goes viral. The word starts leaping from person to person like wildfire because they live so close. As they not only weep for their sins, but they weep for their relatives and friends who've not even heard the prophet's message yet. Imagine what can happen in a city like Oxford 
where we already see God moving at this time? What can happen if each one of us more actively witnesses our faith to those around us? When the Scottish herring fishermen and women went back up north in the winter of 1921, they carried that revival spirit with them. One Scottish account reports this, the air is electric with revival enthusiasm. The revival is like a flu and it's spreading. Contagion, like a flu. Everyone in Nineveh in this story witnesses. The Bible says, first of all, God tells Jonah to proclaim God's message. Then it says Jonah proclaims it, same word. Then the Ninevites proclaim a fast and put on sackcloth, same word. And then the king and nobles proclaim a royal decree. Everyone is proclaiming. The Ninevites let themselves be vulnerable. And they let this word really penetrate their hearts. And this is what we believe we're seeing here in small measure, but growing measure, as people come to faith week after week, as people invite their friends to Alpha. God too cares too much about the people he's created to leave us to our own devices. And the fear of the Lord that comes, it brings first repentance, and then it brings freedom and joy. Maybe you've never followed Jesus. Maybe you've followed him for quite a while, but your heart has grown cold. Well, if God is pricking your heart today, don't delay. Begin again. Begin again. Come to him in godly sorrow. It's never too late. The trouble is so often our repentance, my repentance, can be half-hearted. I turn away from a kind of unholy behavior or thought, but I don't actually feel the keen pain that it causes the Lord of my life. I don't stand in an awareness that my sin keeps him nailed to the cross. I fail to repent with grief in my heart. I remember a time in my life when I'd grown to tolerate this intrusive thought that used to come to me, a kind of horrible, hateful, intrusive thought. And then one day, shortly after I'd chosen to follow Jesus as Lord, I was talking with a new friend, and I had this sudden thought again. We were staying in a hotel on the south coast at an Alpha Holy Spirit weekend. And I was so overcome, rarely on that occasion, with heart pain, with godly sorrow, that I rushed to my bedroom, I fell to my knees, and overcome by tears, I pleaded with God to take that thought away. And then half an hour later, he did. While I was worshipping downstairs along with others, friends prayed for me, and I knew the powerful forgiveness and deliverance of God. And he filled me with joy. And oh, that my repenting was always like this. Lord, give us more sensitive hearts. Give us more tender consciences so that we might feel sin like you do, as Jonah and the Ninevites did.
And then thirdly, God rules and reigns fleeting in anger and unfailing in love. You see, I think we modern people might bridle a bit at the God that we see depicted in the book of Jonah with his warning of judgment. I don't know about you, but it reminds me a little bit of those old hellfire preachers. But we need to know what the king of Nineveh says about his people. He says this, let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Nineveh may be an incredibly sophisticated metropolis. It's got botanical gardens, it's got amazing libraries. It's not dissimilar to Oxford. But as its king himself admits, it contains the seeds of its own undoing. It's founded on exploitation. It's built on injustice. It depends upon a dog-eat-dog spirit. When the Holy Spirit convicts us, we don't just know that things aren't right. We all know that. We know that we're not right. We know that we're not right. An American writer, Barbara Brown Taylor, says this, sin is our only hope, the fire alarm that wakes us up to the possibility of true repentance. And when the Ninevites expose and express their godly sorrow at the things they've done, and they put right those things, we read this, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. He relented. The old King James Bible translates that he relented as he repented. That's a terrible mistranslation. And modern translations of the Bible have put it right. God relents when the Ninevites repent, but God doesn't repent. God doesn't need to repent because his character is constant. In his providence, he's known the end from the beginning. And the clouds of his anger are just swift to depart. God's mercy is constant. His anger is always temporary. He is the God of love. His unfailing love is forever. God's grace is relentless. And it needs to be. Because remember, Jonah has traveled hundreds of miles west of Joppa to get away from God's call. And then he, tr- he journeys even further hundreds of miles to go back east to Nineveh. And yet, the bigger journey for him, the bigger journey for the Ninevites, the bigger journey for us, is never any geographical distance covered. It's this distance. It's the 14 inches from the head to the heart. That's the hard journey to make. Jonah had to make that journey. The Ninevites had to make that journey. We've got to make that journey, that 14-inch journey. Begin again. Begin again. The ice that needs to melt is not in the character of God. It's here in the human heart. And when this ice melts, God draws close and he wraps us in his loving mercy. The psalmist says to God, you've torn off my sackcloth and you've clothed me with gladness. And if you need any final sign this afternoon of God's love, just look at Jesus. 
In the book of Jonah, we see a king of a corrupt city who falls to the earth, bends his head, takes off his crown, and sits in the dust. But in Jesus, a king in heaven, one entirely righteous and perfect, lays aside his heavenly robes and does what? Comes down and buries himself in the dust of this earth, dying on the cross for us. He takes on himself our sin so that we can be forgiven and granted his perfect righteousness. And then after three days, God raises him again, just like God raises Jonah. Why? In order to give us a visible sign so that we may believe and so that in confidence, we too can begin again. So however much each one of you sometimes struggles to see the signs of God's work happening in your life, be assured his fingerprints are over every chapter of your story. And our task is what? It's to come into his loving perspective, into that loving perspective to receive his kindness and to respond. Whether you've followed Jesus for years and God is pressing on some particular personal sin today, whether there's been a veil that's obscured the God of love from you and you've seen him as a God of anger, whether you've been like a Jonah who's gone dead to being able to hear or obey God's call, or whether you simply don't know Jesus, but you're hearing his call today to come to you and bring your life to him. Whoever you are, whatever you are, whatever your history, whatever you've done, know that God's message to you today without a shadow of a doubt is this. You too can begin again. In Jesus' name, amen.